What is going on, everybody? My name is Eric, and you're listening to another exciting episode of the Unlockables podcast, the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, as you do each and every week. I really appreciate it. Wherever, whenever, in time and space you might be located, means a lot that you keep stopping by and seeing what I have to say. But enough about that. I'm kind of on a time crunch this week. Uh, my guest tonight is only used to doing podcasts in length of about 10 minutes at max. So I got to get this in really fast. Uh, of course, I'm talking about my good friend, Phil, from the Deleted Saves podcast. Phil, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. No problem. This has been a long time coming. I have been a huge fan of your show. Um, pretty, I'm pretty sure I've listened to every single episode. So, um, since its inception, and uh, I've been, this has been a long time coming. It was my one regret doing side questing podcasts that I didn't get a chance to have you on, but now I'm here to uh, remedy that. So, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it, and yeah, I definitely appreciate you um, giving my show a chance. I realize I am a little fish in a big pond, and I do things quickly. <laughs> but I'm still there. Exactly. <laughs> and I appreciate every single person who comes in, gives my show a chance and a listen. Right. And, and from one uh, little fish to another, it's, it's great to be doing this alongside you. So uh, we're going to talk about what you do and talk about the games that you love. But uh, before we do that, I just want to uh, kind of pick your brain and just see what have you been playing lately? Okay. Well, like I said, I have been playing a very small independent game. I'm pretty sure that no more than maybe a couple dozen people know about it. It's called Elden Ring. <laughs> And, I may have heard um, about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was it got a little popular there for a bit, but no, seriously. I've actually I've been playing Elden Ring since just about mm -hmm. it came out. I'm I think probably about halfway through at this point. And I'm sitting here going, oh, okay, um, I did it to myself again. I have another <laughs> massive RPG that's staring me in the face. And I'm loving it, but I I God, I need to do things. I have I have other things to do. Sorry from software. I can't spend all right. my days. <laughs> um, also, I have been uh, spending a little time with a, a, a genuinely smaller game, but no less for its uh, audience size. Wasteland 3. Oh, interesting. Um, a release that came out a couple of years ago from the folks at In Exile. Um, and I, I'm more than happy to talk at length about what I know about In Exile because um, for those of you who may not know, In Exile, along with members of Bioware and members of Obsidian, were part of a team called Black Isle. And mm -hmm. they are the ones responsible for things like Baldur's Gate and the original two Fallout games. Oh, of course. So when I got to see that uh, the guys from In Exile were still doing the Wasteland property, which technically, and I'll talk about this because I love to talk about this story, like how Wasteland and Fallout differ and that, you know, Fallout, you know, one should have been Wasteland two. <laughs> Pardon me. It's it's it gets very confusing. Um, and just started today. Um, my wife and I were very glad. We went out and splurged a little and purchased a copy of as of day of recording. It just came out today. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder's Revenge. Ah, uh, yes. We have had a little bit of time to play it today. I've actually watched my wife play a little earlier and. Um, it is, it is everything they said it was going to be. Right. 
I was going to ask here because um, one of my one of the favorite things that I've heard you do, um, along with uh, two other of our good friends, you did, uh, I believe it was on the list off podcast, top five beat em ups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that your pedigree with beat em ups is uh, you're very knowledgeable in that area. So I was going to ask you um, in your limited impressions so far, is, is it really living up to that bygone era of, of beat em ups? Is it live up to the original, do you think so far? From what I saw, yes, it manages to maybe not in exact art style, but it does live up to a lot of um, the Konami games from back in the day, both Turtles arcade games, not so much the NES, Super NES games, mm-hmm. but definitely the um, the arcade ports. And like I said, I'm an old man, so I remember the heyday of the arcade. For the longest time, all you could get was beat-em-ups, fighting games like Street Fighter II, Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. and you know, whatever strange little outlier may be dying in there in a corner, like an old copy of Centipede that got left and nobody plays anymore, <laughs> but they, they're afraid to unplug it because it may never turn back on again. Um, but yeah, there was, and I, uh, as I, I said with uh, Brian and Ryan on, on Listoff, the place that I grew up doing the, in the arcade was a place in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where I'm originally from, called Top mm. Dog. And uh, it, and as I said, whenever you hear me in my show reference the mall, I'm talking <laughs> yes. about the Dumont Mall in Dixon City, Pennsylvania, which actually was right down the road from Top Dog. Okay. So I, you know, if you had like a Saturday night and a pocket full of change, um, and there wasn't much to do in town because there isn't, Scranton's not very big, no matter what the office may tell you. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> You know, you were you were on pretty much a strip. There was a blockbuster video next door to Top Dog, and there was the mall down the road. You were set. So a lot of us spent our time in the arcade. Actually, my best friend growing up uh, for a while worked at Top Dog. He was, uh, you know, not just, you know, didn't really work with machines, but they also sold, like, you know, Top Dog sold these terrible chicken sandwiches for, like, you know, 50 cents, hot dogs for 50 cents. It was a great place if you were a parent on a budget to come in and, like, have a birthday party. But the main draw was the arcade. And every time you came in, it was just a cacophony of noise. And usually the big sellers were right up front. So that is like you walked in the door and for the longest time, all you saw was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with that song blaring. And played it multiple times. Do I think Shredder's Revenge lives up to that hype? Yes, I think it is a very good emulation of that time period. It's a very good emulation of being with you know modern internet connectivity, a good emulation of the co-op abilities that a lot of those old arcade cabinets had. Is it going to be the perfect remember for you know folks like me who are back in the day? Probably not, because there's a lot of that interpersonal stuff that is, goes on. But I think they really knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, these guys who made this one are, I think, the, not they're not the exact producers, but the same team that brought Streets of Rage 4 back online was also involved in this one. That is what I saw, yeah. They did an amazing job with that game, mm-hmm. and um, they just did an amazing job with this one. So I'm going to, over the weekend, hopefully take a much deeper dive into the game and really just kick some butt. Right. I, I And I tend to agree with that sentiment, too. It's that... Uh, we'll never be able to truly go back and recapture that time and that feel. But if you're looking for something that gets like pretty close, I would say this this gets probably as close to the art style and the feel as you probably can with a lot of just the mm-hmm. modern touches on it. So yeah, and, um, and like I said, the beat 'em up has suffered a lot in the last few decades because changing landscapes in gaming, a lot of it's kind of fallen out of favor. Right. In 
in desire for other types of things. But it was just, it was for a few years, especially in the 90s, even to the early 2000s, was just so much a part of the scene that there were thousands of the bloody things. But there were like the cream always rises to the top mm-hmm. and the refs just kind of disappear into history. Buggers like me, we tend to remember maybe a little bit more than some, <laughs> but even, you know, even you can't, no one can have a truly encyclopedic knowledge of the beat em up. I just try. Well, it's, is the people like you that have the knowledge. I remember those things that uh, make for really great content. And if uh, you don't have any other things about games you've been playing, I think that'd make a great segue into uh, the show that you do. So unless no, you'd like to you. bring up anything else, uh, would you be willing to look, move forward on that? I'm willing to go forward. Yes. Excellent, sir. So I just wanted to, uh, the main reason I wanted to have you on other than uh, really loving your show is I wanted to kind of just interview and dive deep about uh, the show that you run, which is called Deleted Saves. And uh, it's a really, really fantastic show. I'm just going to, I'm just going to gush about it here for a second. Uh, Anybody listening to this show, if you're not listening to it, uh, there's really no reason. It's fantastic. It's a show that respects your time. You will get more knowledge in the short little snippets of episodes that uh, he puts out than in a lot of other rambling three hour podcasts. Like I just, you absolutely will. Um, So Phil, I just wanted to kind of talk to you and just ask, where did this idea come from? Not only um, this journey through the games that you played, uh, you know, that you've been taking for the last, however long the show has been on, but to put it in such a short form podcast format, where did that idea kind of come from? Well, funny you ask, um, one of my biggest influences, and I've talked about him before, is actually a YouTuber uh, by the name of Noah Gervais, and he does these exceptionally long-form pod, you know, shows. He doesn't really appear on camera till the end, so they're mostly like podcasts with video game overlay, where he talks about a franchise, and he goes into a super deep dive, and uh, he's very good. He's an amazing writer. He's very alliterative, very... Um, He's a lot of fun. He is on the academic side of things. So if you don't like big words, he may lose you. Uh, <laughs> and I don't mean that as a bad thing. I'm not knocking him or anyone else. It's just he, I mean, like, as an example, he's, his average length of a video is like three hours long. He did oh one of the entire scope of the Resident Evil series of the mainline games, which ended up being seven and a half hours long. YouTube must have oh loved that. Goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's extremely talented. And when I started writing for my show, I said, okay, I want to emulate what he does. And then, you know, I wrote my first script, which was the very first one was for Castlevania on the NES. Mm-hmm. And it came out to be two pages. And I said, oh, I thought to myself, okay, this would be great. I'm just going to go into it. It'll be like 10 minutes long. This will be awesome. And then I recorded everything I had. And it came out to be five minutes. <laughs> and I went, Shit. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, okay. And by the way, the reason I do things on deleted saves in one take is for a couple of reasons. One, I'm usually in a time crunch. I, I need to be available in case I need to step out of my recording booth or address an issue or if my wife needs mm-hmm. assistance or something like that. Um, two, I'm a terrible editor. 
I don't really edit my shows much because the very first like couple episodes, like the very first episodes that I ever recorded, I absolutely destroyed trying to edit. And I had to go back and re-record them mm-hmm. because I screwed it up so badly. So I'm like, you know what? Noah Gervais occasionally has blips and burps and skips and redoes lines a little bit. I think I can get away with that too. So that's why occasionally you may hear a hitch at some point while I'm doing mm-hmm. my presentation or I may like stumble a word and re-say it. Um, if I bundle it totally badly, I literally stop what I'm doing and delete the whole file no matter where <laughs> I'm at, and just start over. And my recording studio is, if you can on uh, camera, you may see the closet behind me. That's my recording studio. Oh, yes. So I step in, I close the door behind me and I have my script. I have my recording device, which is my phone, my headset. And, you know, there's about a third of the time where suddenly I'm in the middle of a talking about a line. And I'm sitting there in my recording voice going, and I think this is a great game because and all of a sudden I'll hear scratch, 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 scratch. <laughs> One of my cats at the door. I'm like, stop. Do the whole thing. I look out. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Or, you know, something's come up and I have to halt what I'm doing or, or something like that. Um, but where this all started really is I actually was thinking about becoming a streamer. Uh, I, mm-hmm. There's no way I can keep up a, a real like steady schedule like a lot of the professional streamers do. I figured it'd be an occasionally a once in a while thing. And I wanted to talk about the games that I loved and I really had a, had a strong hold on me. I would come back to again and again. And I wanted to start streaming Skyrim. And I was this close. I had everything unloaded up my computer. I had OBS. I had the game loaded, all kinds of files. And I plugged my headset in. I started recording, thinking, you know, I got about five minutes in. I go, welcome to, you know, da da da, my Twitch channel. And I'm going to, you know, I'm talking about Skyrim and all love and all that. <laughs> this. And I stopped OBS recording and I looked, I played it back and I can hear nothing but the game audio in dead silence. And I realized. <laughs> For some reason, my expensive computer, the input jack for my headset doesn't work. Of course. And Makes I was talking sense. to the wall for five straight minutes. And I look over and there's one of my cats looking at me in the special way pets can only do. Like, Dad, what have you been doing this entire time? Uh, I'm a fool. I've been talking to the wall this entire <laughs> bloody time. So I, at that point, I had actually been, this is prior to the pandemic, uh, some buddies of mine and I had gotten into podcasting just a little bit, but we were, mm-hmm. we're gamers. We play D&D and stuff like that. And we were thinking of doing like a live sh- live D&D show. And then the pandemic happened and we couldn't get in rooms together because it wasn't safe to record. Right. And I kind of all went to the wayside. And at some point I said, well, wait a minute. I have a recording equipment. Why don't I just start talking about the games that have meant a lot to me that I remembered long after the point that I've, you know, stop playing them or I don't have copies anymore. I don't have those systems anymore and just talk about them and just like throw my voice out into the world. Probably no one will listen. You know, this will be dead silence. This will be another Vandy project for a man just talking in the world, <laughs> but it'll be out there. It'll be, there'll be a public record and I can at least say what I was thinking. So I actually started and I figured I'd go in chronological order. So I started with the first official system that was mine which was an NES. I had an Atari 2600, but I inherited that from my dad. My dad was always a technology buff. And when I was about, you know, seven or eight, he literally hands me this old Atari 2600 and says, here you go, play around with it. He hooked up for me. And of course, you know, I'm playing Asteroids and Pitfall, all this crazy stuff. But it wasn't until the NES that it was my own. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, the story of how I ended up with an NES is um, I literally wanted one. I saw it was coming out. I saw it was in the local stores. It was in a Sears. I'm like, Dad, you know, can I, I, can I get one? He's like, no. <laughs> and then I go to the doctor one day because I had always, by, this is about the time I was age 10, and I'd always had trouble breathing and speaking. And they finally, I, I went to an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And again, pardon me if this is you know, TMI here, but <laughs> the doctor realizes, oh, your adenoids are rotten. They have to go. Oh. So, you know, I'm 10 years old. You know, most kids have had, you know, their tonsils, their adenoids out, but I'm, I'm scared. I don't know. And I'm going to be real. I was scared. Didn't know what was going to happen. The first time I was right. going to be under general anesthetic. It's understandable. And, you know. You, you know, everyone hears these weird stories along the way. You know, obviously, at this point, I, I witnessed my grandparents in the hospital, so I knew hospitals weren't horrible. My mom was a nurse. I know they're not terrible places, but I just don't know what's going to happen to me. So I go through the process. Everything's fine. Obviously, I'm still alive. I'm still here. I wake up from the anesthetic, and my parents are like, oh, how are you feeling? Like, you know, as parents tend to do. And my father hands me a card. And I'm, you know, still waking up from anesthetic, so I'm very confused. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea what's going on. Right what's going on? <laughs> I have no bloody idea what's going on. So I look up on this card, and I'm like, it literally has a handmade certificate inside for one Nintendo Entertainment System that is waiting for you at home when you, when oh, the doctors wow. release you. That's so. so cool. That is, and um, yeah, that's they got me set up. And during my kind of my week of recovery, because uh, I was out of school that week, um, recovering. I just started up playing the only game I had, which was the copy of Duck Hunt slash Super Mario Brothers that came with. Oh, yes. Classic. As as so many had. (laughs) And I quickly realized I am awful at platformers. I'm terrible. I I still and I've my wife laughs every time because my wife loves platformers. I have never beaten the original Super Mario Brothers. Oh, no. I can't get past world one. I'm so terrible. And she's like, how have you played all of these games over all these years and beaten them? And you still can't. I'm like, I don't know. I, I literally don't know. Something so, about it doesn't click. It's like, something about it doesn't click. And, that's, and the problem is back in those days, platformers are what you had. Because they're basically right. ripping off the arcade ports and just like a version of like, you know, whatever. Come on down. Exactly. And but when it started to click, things like Castlevania stuck out with me more because I was the weird kid that liked that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, other games like that and DuckTales, which was a lot of fun because I'd seen the cartoon show or Rescue Rangers or something like that. And obviously those whole games didn't have save files. It's like if you screwed up, lost it, hours worth of progress down the toilet, guess what? You get to start again. Exactly. And <laughs> it wasn't until I think the Super Nintendo where they started to have like in-game save cartridge, save files. And, you know, those things had a lithium battery of life of five years. So they always warned you after five years, this is going to die. So enjoy it now. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah. So when I started cataloging it, I actually went back through because I realized a lot of time has passed and I may not remember everything I played. So Part of my initial writing process was literally to like literally just jump on Wikipedia and lists of all the games I had of all the systems I ever played. And anything I recognized, I was like, oh, okay, I did that. I did play that. I do remember that. I do remember that now. And there were a lot, a lot of them I went, yeah, but they were kind of garbage. It's, I don't really think there's anything I can talk about. And I started ticking off the ones I said, oh, wait a second. I have something either I loved or this inspired me. Or I have a fun story about it, or maybe not so fun story, as I'll get into in a little bit. <laughs> and 
I was like, okay, here is my list of progress. And I thought, well, realistically, how far can I get with this thing? So I listed everything through, at the time, uh, the NES2 about the PS4 era by systems that I had. And I said to myself, what am I going to name this bloody show? I have a dumb idea. And I went through a couple things. And I did some SEO background marketing stuff because I learned a little bit from my wife. And mm-hmm. I finally realized, hey, nobody's really taken the title Deleted Saves. And I have a I have a habit of once I'm done with a game, I take it out of the system and it saves space, especially now on hard drives. I just delete right. the save files. So it's gone. It's gone from my computer. It lives only in my head, rent-free. So that's where the name Deleted Saves come from is that habit of mine. Plus, I was also trying to be safe space conscious. Mm-hmm. Now, since I do this on a script, there's only so long I can physically talk before my voice says, I'm done. We ain't getting <laughs> no more. You're going to sound like a bullfrog here. So it's kind of become more of a short form thing of mine. At the last several episodes of my show, since I moved on to later and later generations, I can talk more about it. Because like sometimes the NES games, you know, and there are other shows that have done fantastic and make an hour out of them. But, you know, I'm not going to sit there and go, and the mechanics did this, and producers did this, and I'm going to talk about the soundtracks. I'm not really soundtrack knowledgeable. I'm not a programmer. I don't really understand the programming, the mathematics that goes into programming the games we love. Um, There's a lot of producers' names. I'm kind of phobic about butchering people's names. So when I see a list (laughs) of original Japanese creator names, I'm like, I am going to screw this up so badly. I do not want to dishonor these men. And women who went through all this by, you know, baseline mispronouncing their name, I'm going to feel like the biggest shithead in the world. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just going to talk about the game itself and what it meant to me, how it was, and what I remember of it. I will use Wikipedia to sort of jog my memory, but other times I'm like, I remember, I just, this is, I remember, and I'm just going for it, and I'm mm. going to talk about it. And if no one likes what I had to say, not a problem. No one's probably listening to this anyway. <laughs> Then people started to listen. And, you know, I, like I said, like, oh, this is strange. People, yeah, exactly. A few people came back and like, okay, interesting take you got there. Cool. Thank you. And um, so that that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I feel sometimes like I'm in a weird space with my show because it is short form and you can mm-hmm. easily slide me in between much longer podcasts or something. And I think the last time I did it, it's the numbers probably changed, but I calculated all the shows that I have and I've been on for a little bit more than a year. You mm-hmm. can probably sit down. If you're a new listener, listen from my show from beginning to end in about two hours. Based oh, on oh, wow. Yeah, I am. I am, you know, in like Flynn, I'm in and out, in and out there. Um, apologize to anyone who finds that joke offensive, but <laughs> another thing I kind of learned from it is also, well, I, you know, I'm an artist by trade. I, I train to be a, gra- a commercial artist. And if you know anything about us, you have to have a portfolio ready. And right. the thing you have to do is that you have to put your work out and shut up. Because oh, yes. literally anyone, yeah, anyone you go to in the art field, whether it's doing comics, doing illustrations for movies, anything that would involve your skills, you have to let your portfolio do the talking for you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you about 30 seconds. Exactly. To say yes or no. And it's kind of my personal training. And again, getting a little real here, um, where I come from uh, back East, the kind of general attitude of life is get in, say what you're going to say and get the hell out because you're not welcome and we don't want you. Exactly. That is a bad habit. I realize that. 
but it's kind of bled into my show thinking I don't have a whole lot of time to get people's attention and mostly they may not be interested anyway. But again, I'm not trying to bag on myself. Please, folks, listen to my show. I'd love you to. <laughs> but um, that's just kind of where my brain is. It's my artist brain going. You don't have a lot of time. Uh, essentially, deleted saves is an extended elevator pitch. Right. That, that's kind of how I viewed it. It's just a very, you know, I've gotten past the initial point of going, you know, with Pop Hat and Kane dance and monkey here going, now that I got your attention, let me expound. And that's kind of why I do the format that I do. Mm hmm. And um, I guess really that's kind of like the, the big the big story behind it all. That's interesting because, yeah, having gone to, you know, I, I went to business school, I, I majored in marketing and, you know, they, they literally make you practice your elevator pitch. It's like, hey, you're in an elevator with the CEO, 30 seconds, you have a pitch in your idea, go. And mm -hmm. I think exactly. that's thinking about it, hearing you describe it is like that was what really draws me to your show. It's because like I'm jumping in, you're talking about a game and you're like pitching it to me and telling me everything I need to know in, in like eight, 10 minutes. And I'm like, right this is fantastic. It's great. Like I learned more in this eight to 10 minute slot than I learned listening to like somebody ramble for three hours. Not that I love the rambling three hour podcast. Yeah, fantastic. They can, there's a lot of good, a lot of good shows to do that. Yes. Also I'm, you know, I'm a history buff. So I want to give a history yes. of the game. And as I, you know, people have asked and, um, you know, does, you know, does this hold up in 2022? No, an NES game is not going to hold up in 2022. <laughs> The technology has moved on. The time has moved on. People's tastes have moved on. You have to look at it in the context of when it came out. Was it worthy of our time then? And I hate to tell you, a lot of them weren't. They were shovelware. <laughs> but the ones who stuck out, it is like, you know, the golden touch here. There's a reason they have lasted in the zeitgeist of gaming more than just as, you know, well, a company had a product and they just kept pumping it out for money. There's a reason these things have stayed on. And I try to give a little bit of a history behind what this happened, what this was in the time, what it meant to me. And if I didn't like it, at least give you some th ideas why I didn't. Right. I, I think it's interesting, too, that, uh, you know, your podcast is so much shorter form because... Uh, just kind of thinking, and I've been thinking about this while you've been talking, just kind of how content and things are structured and consumed today. You know, like you have Twitter, you have your TikToks that are less than a minute or like people are looking to consume like shorter form content, but it seems like right. podcasts are just getting longer and longer. So like <laughs> when I found your show in like the sea of, you know, all of the long podcasts, I was like, like, I'm like, this is exactly, I'm not, I'm surprised I haven't heard heard more more things like it because people are just really looking for that that quick mm -hmm. shot of whatever they're looking the content into their veins and then then they're on to the next thing so right. um that's, and I, that's, I feel yeah. you know if i feel if i can you know if i if my show if nothing else can respect your time and you can go hey you know thanks for the info there brother and moving on with our lives i've done my job Exactly. And I think that's also another huge thing, too, is especially in my life, too, as it's gotten busier, I'm looking for things that do respect my time. So, uh, you know, I don't have time to, to listen to a three hour podcast, but I know every every year show comes out on Wednesday. Correct. I believe with yes. along with mine. Yes. Usually when, so, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Mountain Mountain time. So yes. 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. So I know like every morning, like somewhere in my work morning, I'm like I can get my hit of, of fill and deleted saves like just. And when I need it and it's just a quick hit, I can take like on my break or something. It's fantastic. So 
Awesome. Um, not to like describe your show makes it sound like a drug or something. Like I need my like, <laughs> saves. Like <laughs> good, no. quick hit here. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, it's, uh, I'll deal you a little uh, a little ducktails on the side there. What Dude, got, that, that's that that theme song hits hard, man. <laughs> it does. Um, it does. So yeah, you've already kind of touched on a couple of my other or questions, which is awesome. Uh, I was gonna ask, you know, in regards to like you, know, you already kind of started to describe it a little bit in regards to like the games you've t- picked to talk about on your show and stuff. Um, I just wanted to ask a little bit about that process, and you kind of already started to describe it. So when you do a show, like you said, you're not doing a game. For, you're not like sitting down and be like, okay, this week I have to play this game for the show. You're just going strictly off of what you remember from memory, correct? Or are you going exactly. back and playing some of these games sometimes? Or I, The ones that I've had a chance to go back and play, I will do a bit just to say, okay. hey, you know, I remember it from the da-da-da. Does it hold? How's it doing? And usually I can like, yep, this is this is pretty much what I remember, even if my own tastes have maybe changed a little bit. Others, um, there's just no way, unless you have a hard copy of it, and I just don't have the games and systems anymore, and I haven't right. sought out any emulators. I'm not against emulation. I just haven't done it. Um, it's hard for me to go there. So I kind of use Wikipedia a little bit to sort of jog my memory. And once I'm like, oh, okay, yes, you know, it's been a while, but I do remember this. I do have a pretty decent memory for these sorts of things. Can't remember my bank account number, but I remember video games pretty well. <laughs> and I'm able to just run with it. Now, I will say there have there are a couple lost episodes of deleted saves where I kind of oh. like I plan to do yeah, I plan to do an episode and I sat there and I was starting to write the script and I looked at Wikipedia and I said, wait a minute, I don't remember the game this way. This not oh, at all. So I'm like you know, I, I remember certain aspects. I'll, I'll name an example. The, the one Paramount was Xenogears on the PS1, a, a great ah, JRPG. Yes. Um, it is, you know, fantasy, mech fighting, things like that. And I remember these awesome things. And then I sat down to read the Wikipedia and they're talking about, and this is, you know, reading proto-Nazi sort of da 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 da, da and fighting against <laughs> the evil empire. And, you know, the philosophy of, you know, Freud and uh you know, I'm sitting here going, I don't remember any of <laughs> Yeah, this. right. You lost me in Nazis, my guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah and, and Freud and Jung and, and Nietzsche. And the, I mean, I love a good philosophy turn, but hang the hell on a minute here. Exactly. You get, you get into some weird territory. The thing I do remember about the game was the mech fights were cool, and there was something about a giant space bunny. I do remember that very well. Mm-hmm. Um the rest of it, I have no clue. So I, I went and like, okay, I maybe I need to, to chip can this one because I'm, you know, I am so far afield from what, you know, any kid with, you know, internet access is going to look and go, you're wrong. I didn't do it. Well, <laughs> I probably am. I hate to tell you. So let me, you know, let me just, you know, drop the hammer on this one. Um, right. Or some other games that I, I sort of remember bits and pieces, but it's not enough to do a full show on. Uh, I'm planning to do maybe later on, once I, I get done with my mainline set of games, like a, a shorter format where I glumped like two or three games together that I remember bits and pieces of this and why they're on a theme, but okay. they're kind of not like, you know, full episode worthy. Right. And of course, when I have an opinion that does <laughs> not mesh with the greater opinion of the gamers TM, thank you, James Stephanie Sterling. Yep. Um, <laughs> And luckily I haven't had too bad. I've had a couple of people go, you know, appreciate your point of view. Don't quite agree. And I'm like, okay, cool. I, I that's all good. Um, the rest of it, I've kind of sat back and gone, Oh my God, I'm going to get so much, <laughs> but I have to speak my truth. Yeah. 
Um, like I said, I know that, you know, I talked about a while ago, I talked about Final Fantasy IX. And as much as I love that game, oh, this is going to hurt a me lot of personally. People, a lot of people revile <laughs> it. And I don't really know why. I actually thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones I, I uh, in that era that I think were stinkers were actually eight and ten. Ten, I cannot stand. I gotta say that's a that's a spicy take because most everybody I talk to like holds ten in very high regard. Yeah, uh, even do. though I even though personally I would say Kingdom Hearts is the better RPG from that era, but that's fine. It is. Well, the oh, thing is, 10, thank you, vindication. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I do enjoy Kingdom Hearts. I've only ever played the the three mainline games, or maybe four, depending on when that comes out. But mm-hmm. I know, like I said, I know you have your show going on where you're going to deep dive into it, and I'm kind of waiting for that because I need Oof. to know what happened in all these other different pieces. Because there's a lot of by the time I was even between one and two, and definitely between <laughs> three, I am so lost. I don't know who any of these people with cloaks and fancy keyblades are. I, I'm I'm like, okay, you got me. You you you. You know, I put my hands up. You with my ass. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going in for the ride. Look, hey, fun Disney characters. Yay, hey, exactly. we're beating up stuff. Um, but now, again, I like to bring out good points. Ten does some things right. Mm-hmm. What I wish they kept in the Final Fantasy series, and maybe they do after this, and maybe I just don't know where I'm unaware. Uh, Ten's hot swapping system where you could, like, on the fly pull in other party members if someone gets yes. knocked out. The sphere grid system for building, you know, customizing and building character rather than just getting a stat upgrade. I think those should have stayed. Uh, you know, also the thing where you can go beyond your limit breaks and break the 999 barrier and start bringing in even more damage. I thought that made for some epic boss fights against things that have tons and tons and tons and tons of hit points. Right. But there's a lot that they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not necessarily their fault. It was the first fully voiced game. They had a lot of other things. They've obviously, when they've come back and did the Final Fantasy VII Remake, they think they got that much better on track with doing that sort of thing. And the later games, like 15, 12, um, stuff like that. Okay, mm-hmm. you got that sort of hammered out. Just wasn't for me. Or another example. And this is a, a sort of the golden child of survival horror gaming, Silent Hill 2. Yes. Which, if you've listened to my show, did not come through my ringer very, very well. For a number of reasons, which I won't detail here, other than, you know, I'm a trauma survivor myself. Mm-hmm. I can understand the main character's issues, but I feel it was so callously done by the creators of the game in effort to make jump scares, scary bits. They thought they were feeling philosophical. They're really not. Any therapist will tell you a lot of what he's gone through is just you don't get you don't get trauma relief at the barrel of a gun. And a lot of it was still survival horror trappings or shooty, shooty, bang, bang, right. know, basing monsters off people's, you know, issues and things have happened to them in the very real world. And I consider myself probably on the lighter end of it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people have had worse things. I'm sure I can't be the only one that maybe was a gamer, played Silent Hill 2, and may have had a bad reaction mm-hmm. because of it. And tons and tons of people go, this is the greatest survival horror ever game ever. It blew our minds. The philosophy was awesome. The mm-hmm. monster designs were great. Oh, the story had so many twists. I didn't see any twists and goddamn turns. I saw everyone <laughs> coming. Don't bullshit me, right. sir or madam, whoever you may be. But I'm in the minority on that one. And I'm mm. fully, I fully accept that. And I was waiting for the beating. I was absolutely waiting for the beat down on that one because it is, you know, I'm a survival horror player. I love those types of games. But this one just not, and I love the first Silent Hill. 
but Silent Hill 2 made me so angry and so upset, I'd stop the series. I haven't played one since. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have opposite opinions. And I and as I say, your Silent Hill episode is is by far one of my my favorite episodes, I think. And really, too, when you have those episodes um, more recently, the one you just did, like on Oblivion as well, yes. uh, those come to mind for me because you you get so much of the echo chamber about those games about how oh, Oblivion's so great Silent Hill 2 is is mm-hmm. so great it's untouchable it's fantastic and uh for me who who I gave up on Oblivion very early on cuz I hated it and mm-hmm. I just never got around to playing Silent Hill 2 you know to hear a different take and just hear hey maybe your opinion the opinion of it's so great isn't always right that to me is I think we definitely need more of that in the industry not because you're trying to like shit on a game and make everybody angry and troll like you're coming at it from an analytical point of view to Mm -hmm. just further the discussion so that's not so one-sided and that's yeah what i love and that's another thing i want to do with my show is just say like i'm not trying to be contrarian because i think it's cool or edgy i'm too old for edgelord stuff i I really (laughs) am sorry guys but I am trying to be an analytical and say, like, I think, you know, I had this kind of experience and it didn't click for me, but here's why. I'm not saying that this is the worst thing ever. I'm not trying to play angry video game nerd where I'm just going to, you know, shit on a game (laughs) for views, sometimes literally. Um, But I am trying to be analytical about it. On the opposite coin side of that coin, I have a new segment that did boot fairly recently in my shows and it'll be coming up on the next round of shows. I call the problematic favorite where I love a game. Absolutely loved it. It may not be everyone's favorite. I loved it, but I can't accurately rec- you know, recommend it in the modern day because times have changed, tastes have changed, some things have happened. Right. Uh, most recently, I debuted that with Resident Evil Code Veronica. I loved that game back in the day. It's the only time I played a Sega Saturn game. And as I, I read in the details, I literally went out and like saved money and rented a Sega Dreamcast. Excuse me, not Saturn right. Dreamcast. Just to play this one game because it's at the time the only time it had debuted it came out later on the ps2 and whatnot and i loved it but the problems are it's still very much a resident evil game in the style of the first three and one of your main enemies is a very 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 terribly stereotypical character (laughs) that both i feel improperly represents those with autism and have neurodivergence Mm -hmm. or those who may be trans and the way they treat it like literally there's a line and i was recently reminded of this where claire the main character calls him a cross-dressing freak and Mm -hmm. like this is not going to play in 2022 i'm sorry in which i when i said in my review that yes i know people are upset that resident evil 4 is getting a remake um, before Code Veronica, but as I said, I could see them doing that, but they're going to have to change so much about Code Veronica that it may not even resemble the game, the original game. It may be so different. It may not be worth their time. They, right. they may be more problematic than not. It may still happen. Capcom's in a remake mood. They've smelled the money. It could be in the process. <laughs> I just feel really bad for the writers because somebody's going to have to look at that and go, uh-oh, we done we unscrewed up in several places in yeah, the yeah. original. And that was in 2000. It was in 2000. 22 years have passed. Um, things have changed. Right. And, like and, I at, said, the time, but, and at the time, yeah, too, yeah. like things like that were were 
I mean, not that they were acceptable, like obviously to say those things were wrong, but it was just a different time period back then. And like those things could be said more flippantly without the, the worry about backlash. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I think about a lot of stuff from that time period, like I was just talking with one of my friends the other day and I was just like, you know, a, a lot of stuff that got made in that era, like would never get made today. I was thinking like specifically like your American pies and not another teen movie, you know, like all the spoof yeah. movies. I'm like, those would never get made today. Like it just absolutely would not. Exactly. So. I mean, if you want a really good example of that, uh, go on YouTube in any place you, where they've had, you know, movie reactors have grown up like mushrooms after the spring rain due to the <laughs> pandemic. Watch anyone who plays the movie Blazing Saddles. One of uh, Mel Brooks' pl- classic movies. It is still hilarious. It is making fun of racism, but you could not make it today because yeah. of what that what the entire dialogue of that movie is loaded with as far as the jokes. Yeah, it is. A, it is a timepiece of the 70s, the early 70s, especially. I know what they were trying to do. We all know what we we're trying to do. But every reactor who sits there and goes, um, hmm, I shouldn't be laughing at this. And I don't think I'm going to right. and you just see people just like get ashen when they hear some of the dialogue of that movie, especially if they're Af- uh, an African-American reactor who just kind of look at it and they kind of go, OK, I see yeah. where you're at. And I'm like, yeah, this times have changed. You can't do stuff like this anymore. And gaming can be very much like that. Some games are time capsules. And right. there are things that you cannot do now. Right. Exactly. Or like I said, I'm going to be next week's show of mine is going to be talking about Skyrim, another problematic favorite of mine. But the thing I cannot recommend to new players of it is, even though it's a game from 2011, it's the bugs. How mm-hmm. broken it is. I've had both my PC, my 360 that I had it on, and I know it did like on the PS4 and the Switch and stuff like that, which just hard crash because the bugs freeze. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm like, I, you know, you, I love this game. I still play it. You got to mod it. Mod it till it breaks. Because right. even basic mods have fixed a lot of the patches Bethesda could not or would not do. You know, Todd, you said it just works. Well, apparently your QA department argues that question. You didn't want to listen. <laughs> I don't care how nice your leather jacket is. It's not yeah, true. Exactly. He's <laughs> yeah. just like one of us. He's one of the guys. It he just is. works. He... No, it doesn't. Todd. No, listen, doesn't. I, I wear my leather jacket out to the bar all the time and people think I'm the coolest. So I, I he's, he's got <laughs> hey, it. He's got leather, it down pat. You know, I have a leather jacket too. I, cause it's hot where I live. I wait till the winter time, but yeah, every time I do it, people are like, Ooh. Right, so there is a mistake <laughs> that comes to the leather jacket. I gotta say. Absolutely. Um, so in your experience, like you said, you've been doing the podcast a little over a year. Has this kind of journey you've been on um, changed your opinions you've had about maybe any game specifically in general, gaming as in a medium overall? Have your opinions been challenged and changed? Have you approached things differently? I'm, I guess I'm basically asking you, uh, has the podcast like changed your vision on this thing that you love so much? I think it has. You can't really go through a journey like this without having uh, some of your opinions, some of your time, some of your preconceived notions challenged. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that has come up most um, immediately, and it is because I see it in my own daily life as playing is um, sometimes, and it's not, I think there's no agenda. No one's trying to do it, but games can be very ableist where they assume that, your vision is 2020. Obviously, I wear glasses, so my vision is not and has never been. Mm-hmm. Um, you have normal dexterity in your hands. You can differentiate between colors, sounds, things like that. And there are a lot of people who love to game but have um, not that ability. 
either their right. hand, you know, their, their hands and wrists do not function the way they would like, or holding a controller or a mouse and keyboard is difficult for them. Um, they're colorblind. They do not recognize sounds the same way. Um, with dialogue, they're a bit dyslexic. They may not read you know, dialogue the way you and I do. And that sort of, you know, there should be more options in games for those with um, disability to yes. allow them to come more into the gaming sphere and fully enjoy a game the same way someone with normal abilities does. Yes. Um, I've worked with adults with developmental disabilities. Some of them are younger, are about our age and younger, who are gamers. And sometimes they just have difficulty that simple fixes. I'm, you know, I realize it's going to take a little more work or development time. But if you assholes at these major game companies claim to have the money you do, taking six months out to make sure that someone else can enjoy your game, which would benefit your bottom line, is not that much of a sacrifice. Right. And you can hire people in QA that can that have maybe have disabilities and can tell you, oh, okay, no, I understand what's going on, or I can do this now. Like you're not just you know assuming the QA department is like you know oh, but, 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 yeah, it works for me, I guess. I don't know. I, <laughs> and and hand wave it off. That I think does need to be more of a more of an issue, more of an more of an addressed thing. What I am glad to see more of, even though I probably don't play as many as I'd like to as I should, the indie game market uh, become more of a thing. Small development teams who are yes. not punch monsters also have a diversity of cast, diversity of viewpoints. Uh, I know that I am an old man of a certain certain point, certain type of, of now person. I'm going to be dead one day, but I would like to see this hobby continue on. And with that, we need a diversity of voices. Right. We need a diversity of, you know, ideas and things like that. No, not everything's going to click with you. That's perfectly fine, but it is going to click with somebody. Right. And that's the important part. Now, as far as other things, I am glad to see that games are becoming better written, more story rich, more diverse. I do feel gaming is an art form in and of itself. Games are an art. I know uh, even in Alan Wake, they make fun of this. They have a character where at some point in the game, Alan gets stuck in a, in a psychiatric uh, hospital and they have a guy they look over and said, oh, he just makes games, it, it, whatever, close enough. Right. But, you know, you get jokes like this occasionally. That That's obviously an inside joke from those people. But gaming is an art form. If you want to, you know, you have to accept gaming as an art form in the same way movies are and the same way have a lot of other entertainment fields are, or at least in my opinion, if you're not going to accept games as art, then none of those can be art either because it's mass media entertainment. And I'm glad to see that a lot of people have begun to maybe change their mind. Mm. That gaming is not just coin op for kids. Um, although a lot of people still have that idea. Oh, it's just for children. You realize that there's a man with a rifle shooting Russians or, you know, or <laughs> this is not for children, right? Oh, 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 well, when did this happen? Uh, 20 years ago. Thank you for asking. Right. Um, you just weren't paying attention. But, you know, a lot of stuff like that I'm glad to see. Now, um, as far as myself, as I say, I played a lot of games. Maybe not every popular game that everyone loved, um, which is, you know, why you don't see things like Gears of War or Call of Duty on my show because I never really played them. Not anything bad about them. I just they didn't click with me, so I didn't ever play them. Right. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I am a I'm a survival horror and RPG guy. 
Those yeah. are my areas of concentration. Uh, and somehow I became like a almost single-handedly in our little sphere here. I've kind of become a expert in licensed properties based on Dungeons and Dragons that ended up being video games. Uh, I You certainly I figured, have. <laughs> I figured more people would be like saying, like, hey, you know, there's a couple like really famous games based on D&D. Now I seem to be the only fool that's covering them. <laughs> um, but the RPG genre owes so much to the tabletop RPG, you know, RPG genre that I find the two to be intertwined. Where did survival horror come from in this mess then you may ask? Well, because when I was a kid growing up in the eighties, I hated horror movies. I was scared of Jason. I was scared of Freddy Krueger. I was scared of Michael Myers. It wasn't, until, but I love monster movies. So I'm uh, cool yes. with seeing, you know, vampires get heaved into the sunlight or a werewolf getting shot with a silver bullet. Um, or, you know, the queen alien getting flushed out an airlock. I'm totally cool with that. Slasher movies, I'm not a big fan of. Still not. It's, it, it doesn't really do anything for me. It's like, oh, right. um, so teenagers getting killed in horrific and dumb ways about some basically immortal monster. But at least if you throw in a, something else in there, uh, an eldritch horror, a vampire, something like that, cool. I, I'm down with this. We can do this. The proliferation of zombie games, of course. Right. But that was... Survival horror games, I think, was my way to conquer that sort of fear of the horror genre because you're not, you are low on ammo, but you're not out. You're not totally helpless. Like a lot of games like Outlast and Anisha the Dark Descent didn't stick with me either because they're run and hide simulators. Right. Like Amnesia, I don't understand. The monsters in that thing look like seven foot tall Ku Klux Klan Muppets. How <laughs> and your character can one handedly pick up an entire dinette set and throw it. How can you be terrified of this? Right. But people are. Outlast, gore for gore's sake, and then go hide under a bed and hope the monster goes away. I don't like that level of disempowerment because in my own head, I'm like, well, I may die, but I'm going to make sure I can pick up a rock or a pipe wrench or something and whack the thing over the head at least once or twice and make it pay for its transgressions. Mm. And that's what things like Resident Evil or the very first Silent Hill or company, you know, Alone in the Dark, The New Nightmare. Your character is, I mean, they have some knowledge or skill. They're not like, you know, Johnny off the street exactly, but you at least have the ability to do something. Right. And with RPGs, of course, you have the ability to do something. You're probably you're part of a group that has magical abilities and technical skills and all kinds of fun stuff. And you can go out to save the world. And this has kind of led my into mine, I guess I'm sorry, I'm a little rambling here, but it's my That's sort right. of my twin philosophy in gaming comes from these two genres primarily. Is that with survival horror, the idea is to never give up no matter what, even if you are low on ammo, you're badly hurt. You can get out of it. No right. matter what comes your way, you can get out of it. It's very much a philosophy I take in life. No matter how bad things get, there's a way out that isn't you dying. You can get out of it. You can at least get away from a situation and you might, if you're really lucky, be able to help someone else with the right. wisdom that you gained. And RPGs are the same way. My kind of world philosophy is that a lot of different groups of people are striving individually for not a whole lot. We're not getting anywhere. What RPGs do is they show you a group of very diverse cast of people mm -hmm. who are able to get together, put their differences aside, 
And even if they're ignored, even if they're hated and not wanted, they can go out and save the day, whether it's their neighborhood, whether it's their country, maybe it's the world, maybe it's the universe, depends on the type of game you're talking about. And that proves that no matter what, we can look at, we can set our differences aside for a goal, even if we don't have a greater goal, and maybe just the goal is friendship, and prove that no matter what, diversity is a good thing, and that having this diverse cast who's willing to put aside their own egos and do the right thing is maybe something we need to emulate in real life. Whatever may be going wrong, that maybe we need to put aside the bad stuff, learn from these RPGs, both JRPGs and Western RPGs, and just become a big damn hero. I I love that. And that whole... This feeling when I'm right there is 100% why I love doing this show because it's something that I never would have thought of before and, and just hearing people. So that was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I feel I, I echo a lot of the same sentiments you do. And you've brought up a lot of points that uh, I haven't gotten a chance to touch on on my show, but I would love to, especially going back to, uh, you know, accessibility, thinking about how far games have come from, you know, the early 2000s, pausing the menu and having, oh, four sliders for audio for brightness and like in color like then that's it and now you know i went in and i messed around with the accessibility options for like horizon forbidden west and there's just so many options to customize the way that game that you want to play and make it more accessible i think it's great that we're moving forward having this medium be more accessible to more people and feel more inclusive uh Mm. even though i feel like we have a little bit of ways to go on the in the inclusivity part of it like we're, we're getting there we're but, getting uh, there. Yes. Um, none of this occurs in, in a vacuum and it doesn't occur overnight. Right. There are going to be bumps along the way. Things are going to go wrong. But the effort is to keep striving. Right. I think specifically, uh, I had an incident where I, a couple of days after it happened, I watched the, the Xbox Bethesda showcase because I was, I was curious. And mm-hmm. uh, I watched it on YouTube where it was live streaming and it had the, the chat on with the replay. And, uh, man, some of the stuff that was in the chat was, was super disheartening. It was, uh, anytime that, uh, there was a video game shown with a female main character, it was very, very angry, very toxic. Uh, one guy's comment stuck out to me. He said, uh, don't worry, fellas, we'll be the main characters in video games one day. I'm like, my guy, you've been the main character in a video game for like 40 years. What are you talking about? Like, are you fucking 12? What like, yeah, wrong with you? it was, it was bad. So I just, it's kind of funny that I saw that and you, you, you know, you brought that yeah. up. So plus, like I said, there have been plenty, many games I played where the main character is not me. I am a exactly. long haired white guy in my middle years. If the character is female, doesn't bother me. If right. the character is a, a non-white person, like I said, um, one of the biggest breakthroughs, I think, with that was actually Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Right. The character is black. Right. A lot of people didn't, like I said, what do you mean I'm not a, a white guy? Well, because of the time period, it would have been a black man in South Central Los Angeles. Right. Coming up out of nothing. This is diversity. This is a good thing. This right. is a fine thing. Does it hurt you that, it, you know. The person you see on the screen as a pixel, as a cartoon character, is not the same person you see in the mirror. If it does, who gives a shit? This probably is, need to reevaluate you know, your life. <laughs> yeah, reevaluate your life, dude. Calm down. First of right. all, it ain't real. It's a video game. Second, it's a cartoon character. Third, if your ego is so fragile and so tied up with someone from a different perspective in life than you, who is the hero of the story, then you must hate reading. You must hate music. You must hate any other art form. Right. Because they're loaded with them. Exactly. 
Exactly. Games are just late to the party to catch up. Right. And we've played the we've played these straight, strong white male protagonists. Like I've played that story. Like I want what mm-hmm. other stories are out there. Like tell me yeah. the other stories. Like I really want to hear them. Story, I am a storyteller, which means right. I also have to take in other people's stories and see, first of all, did I like it? Did it mean anything to me? And if it didn't, well, too bad on my end, but it was still their story. It's still valid. So, yeah, so I just that that's great and i i would love to have um future conversations on that topic on this show mm-hmm. I, I think that's definitely definitely uh, definitely places where we can all as a community make make strives to be more inclusive for sure One of the things I wanted to ask you, so I, I know you're talking about uh, your specific experiences related to video games uh, via podcast. So is, is there a point like in the future where it's like you've talked about all the video games that you've experienced? Does deleted saves come to an end? Do you shift the show in a different direction once you've talked about everything? I guess I'm kind of picking your brain about like what the future of the show kind of looks like. Yeah, there is a there is a calculated time where deleted saves will end. Uh, the, the file will be deleted permanently. Um, oh. Currently, I'm going system by system chronologically. Okay. Uh, as of time of this recording, I've just begun my term in the Xbox 360 era. I've touched on the NES, the SNES, uh, a little bit of the Genesis, the Dreamcast, uh, the N64. Again, I'm listing stuff up like I'm some kind of game celebrity here. It's just been a long time <laughs> hobby of mine. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to flex on anyone or cast shade. This is just what I've done. I, I was able to have all the systems. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it sounds like you're being, you know, you're being a complete asshole. I'm like, no, really, I'm not. I just had a long thing. And a lot of times game systems, I only got them because the previous one and all the games got sold off to fuel the purchase of the next one. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, as much as I talk about retro games, I'm not in the retro game market. Um, my, all this stuff is long gone. Um, but I'm currently up to the earliest games of the PS5 because this is, and I'm going, there may be a few to get added along the way, but I know after I go through chronologically all the games that stood out to me, I'm going to do, like I said, a section of games which are going to be themed around either further explaining uh, some things like the Fallout franchise. I love three. I love New Vegas. And that's about where that ends. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I have played the other ones. I right. have played a lot of the other ones. And oh, you won't hear my opinion. You're probably not going <laughs> to like it. Or something like I want to talk about much like with you've spoken with Kingdom Hearts, but I've only played the first three games. I just kind of want to talk about them as a group mm-hmm. and my overall experience. Those are probably going to end up being a little bit more long form shows, not like a full hour, maybe more like a 20 minute um, thing like that. Revisit some old NES games I didn't think were full shows. But after that, I probably into about mid 2024, uh, unless I'd add something new or something comes to mind, there's something I want to talk about. And after that, I may have said my piece as far as games. Interesting. Um, I, I may have said all I personally can say, and it will be in the hands of the larger public to take up the torch 
in whatever direction they feel. Um, as the poem says, nothing gold can stay. Mm-hmm. And I realize that there are time limits. There are points when my viewpoint is just not going to be relevant. I don't know if it's relevant now, to be honest with you, but there's going to be time when it simply won't be. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that and move on. Um, it will be someone else's job if they wish to take it up and continue on. I may go in a different direction. I may go back to podcasting about tabletop RPGs and making them and whatnot, because that's one of my other passions. Very I don't cool. know. I haven't, de- I haven't decided yet. Um, cool. But yeah, there will be a point where Deleted Saves is at its end, but it is not this day. Excellent. Nothing is, uh, I believe the saying is, something isn't beautiful because it lasts forever. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, but then it will be, like you said, it will be there as an archive for, for anybody that wishes to hear it and yes. uh, be able to gain more knowledge in a shorter amount of time than a lot of people can deliver in a long period of time. So, uh, right. which is absolutely fantastic. So when people come and listen to a sh- an episode of the show and, and they come and talk to you, what's, what is kind of uh, the message that you hope they, they, they take away from, from listening to an episode of the show? What do you want them to take away from hearing uh, your opinion about said game for, for a short amount of time? What's like the main thing you hope they take away? Well, that's a good question. There have been a couple things I've thought about. First of all, I hope to get a little bit of a chuckle because I do like to throw in a few puns and a few jokes along the way. I certainly um, have. Thank you. Um, I hope that they also get a sense of history and historic record because we, we play games in an industry that has no sense of history and does not want it. It only wants what is immediately making money. And mm-hmm. if there has been something there or there's a franchise that people loved, but they don't think there's money in it, it ain't coming back. And they are, you know, a lot of these games, the only copies of the hard code that exists are whatever went out into the public. Right. Um, th- those hard codes are gone. They have no sense of historic preservation. I'm a history buff. That to me is blasphemy. We absolutely have to have a historic record because this is this is like going into a comic book shop and go, how did all these guys draw these amazing pictures? Well, back in the 1500s, there were a whole bunch of old buggers who decided to take anatomy lessons and sit down <laughs> and learn how to draw. But before them, there were people that sat on cave walls because they were tired of chasing antelope across the plain and they wanted to doodle. And they have to have this whole long stream of here's how we got to this point because nothing occurs out of nowhere. Nothing occurs in a vacuum. You aren't just like blocked onto this earth with all the knowledge and experiences you're ever going to have. Right. And everything builds on stuff. And at the same time, I hope that they can both realize and accept that it is just one man's opinion. Um, I know a lot of what I say does tend to echo like a lot of popularity about certain games, or maybe they've heard about something that they never, like I said, never really came across. Like I have a couple games that I know were like, I've had people go, this was a thing. <laughs> yes, this this was a thing. Like I said, um, I've talked about uh, Iron and Blood, Warriors of Ravenloft. It came out during the heyday of Immortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Tekken's. Right. And it was a PlayStation 1 3D fighting game where one half of your team was the good guys and the enemies were the bad guys. You could pick either one, but it was a piece of garbage. It didn't have a, an ending. <laughs> I didn't even know if there was an ending. I, I beat the game multiple times with every single roster. And I just got a, like a congratulations. You have won. It's based on a and d property. It's based on their horror setting, Ravenloft. Right. And trying to hunt this down on the internet and have someone talk about it. If you can find a couple of YouTube videos, I think there's um, a fame, a very famous YouTuber, uh, Matt McNussels. I actually 
you know, tweeted him. I said, Hey, I know you have a, a series about bad fighting games. I remember this one. Do you, can you cover this at some point? He was, he was kind enough to tweet me back and say, yeah, it's on my roster somewhere, but the man's oh. busy. He's, he makes, you know, he's got videos all the time. This is his living. Right. I'm hoping someday in the future it'll come out so that you guys can out there can see what I saw and realize <laughs> that this is a terrible game based on a property that I love. Um, but there's, there's no passing by that it's shit. Right. But there may have been people out there that absolutely love this game and have, do not agree with me. That's perfectly fine. Um, so please don't take your expectations. Don't take it to heart. If I crapped on your game, it's nothing personal. <laughs> if I happen to love a game more than you did, again, it's nothing personal. I just really enjoyed it. If we're both in the middle of the road and we're kind of like, yeah, it was, it was okay. And it was there too. Cool. But yeah, just kind of it's historic record and it is one man's opinion. And maybe just maybe you'll get a chuckle. Right. And I, I believe that a hundred percent, I believe, and, and it's really not since I started doing like this podcast and stuff and, and listening to other shows is that, you know, a lot of people that do kind of retrospective shows and stuff like that, not just putting stuff out there to put stuff out there. Like eventually one day, like that will be part of the historical record. That's, that's all we will have. Uh, no, all of our preservation efforts, uh, we might save some stuff, but we, we won't save everything. That's just how it is. And we, we fail yeah, to save true. everything. Some stuff is already some stuff is already doomed. Like you said, the, the code just doesn't exist anymore. So whenever physical copies decay, like that's it, it's gone. Um, yeah. again, I hate to keep bringing it up, but, uh, the original kingdom hearts is gone. That game does not exist. Uh, it only exists. Yeah, in the I heard that the, the code got flushed on that one a yes. long time ago. It sucks the, because you know, it wasn't, it's, it's not a bad game. It really is no. a cute little game. I thought considering how many sequels they had, they would have kept it, but no, you it, figured. So, uh, I don't know if that was a mistake or whatever happened, but, uh, yeah, the, the the HD versions of that game that got re-released are are remade from the ground up. Uh, or it's supposed to be as original as possible, but that original game only exists on discs now. That's the only way. And once those discs are gone, like that's it. It's in its original state. It is it is gone. So um, yeah, I think that we, no matter how small or how whatever size audience we have, it, it really is kind of responsibility for everybody to be part of that historical record because, like you said, yeah, the big guys only care about the money and Obviously, they see they can cash in on the nostalgia, so now they have a little bit of incentive to try and save things. But mm -hmm. it's not for the right reasons. It's not for <laughs> preserving no. the art. It's for and, getting the dollars. I, mean, I, can't, I can't blame them. They are businesses. This yes, isn't like it's true. This isn't in here to you know make life better. They're here to make money. I get it. It doesn't mean it doesn't rankle me. It doesn't annoy <laughs> exactly. Me. You know especially considering over the years all the money I've spent on this stuff and you guys couldn't even be bothered to try and keep the source code or right. offer, you know, offer it to someone who's willing to keep it alive somewhere, at least maybe sell off the, and they do like so many of these companies, the big companies, like Activision, fuck you, Activision. And yes. so many others sit on IPs like they are dragons sitting on a hoard of gold. They will never part with them, but they're not going to do anything with them. Right. When there are people out there that would love a crack, you know, they're new to the industry. They'd love to take a crack at something they love and maybe go in a different direction. It may, it may work. It may not. Who the fuck cares? You people make money hand over fist with things like Fortnite and Call of Duty <laughs> and Clash of Clans and stuff like this. You're not, you know, you're not hurting for money. The only right. people who hurt are the small studios who are trying and they really kind of have to worry about, is this going to work or is this going to not? The EAs right. of the world, the Activision Blizzards of the world the Square Enixes, the Capcoms of the world, they 
really ain't hurting. Right. Or, or maybe cut the CEO's salary in half, who could still live on an entire pile mattress of money they'll never need to spend. Give it to new <laughs> studios. Give it to new people. Stop harassing your workers. Maybe stop assaulting your workers while you're at it. They might produce better stuff. It's a pretty novel concept with voice I know, out loud. <laughs> I know. That's, that's, a, that's a hard one to swallow. Hey, I am, I am the devil's advocate, unfortunately. I'm, I'm right. out there giving the tough ones. But I mean, there's so many, there's so many IPs that I would love to see come back. Right. Um, in some, you don't have to remaster or remake it. Just say, hey, uh, 20 years ago, this is what happened. Do a recap of the plot at the beginning of the game and go off in a new direction. Right. Um, now, the Capcom has had their shows. How many people have you maybe observed go, where's Dino Crisis? <laughs> you have this exoprimal thing. Great. It's dinosaurs. You already had one. It was called Dino Crisis. Exactly. <laughs> um, we love that you're doing Resident Evil again. Where's Dino Crisis? Exactly. Um, you know, people saw you know final fantasy 7 remake went a different direction from the original final fantasy 7 and it was like apes on lsd they went crazy they're like oh my god what did they do they're either like this is the greatest thing ever oh my god there's shit all over the legacy blah 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 blah. and folks times changed they went a bit of a different direction right ain't the end of the world the original still exists provided you can find a copy it's extremely popular. They release it like they release chiclets. You're fine. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, I would love to say uh, a favorite of mine from the survival horror era, Alone in the Dark, The New Nightmare. It was about as Resident Evil 2 at the time as they could make it. It literally had a male protagonist, a female protagonist, two separate campaigns. You could play them. They had a novel concept that the monsters were actually sensitive to light. So all the weapons you got were light based because you were alone in the dark. Right company who made it um has already said that it is non-can it's non-can to the other alone in the dark games even the one that came out in 2008 that bombed worse than hiroshima you could easily bring that back as a one-off it's not a problem or go a separate direction with that you've already said it's non-canonical i'm sure there's people out there i mean you could buy the game on dog but you know i'm sure there's people love a crack at it you know nightmare creatures bloodborne before there was bloodborne right and I know some people rankle at that concept, but pff, I hate to tell you, it was Bloodborne 4 was Bloodborne. That could come <laughs> back. It had an unreleased sequel that people crapped on. Right. Um, even if I don't agree with the game or I think it didn't work out, um, I'm working on a script now for uh, the game Brutal Legend, which I really wanted to love and I thought was an awesome, awesome idea for its premises, even if it doesn't work. And you'll hear the you'll hear their episode in the coming weeks. That was even one voice by Jack Black, out. right? Exactly. Was, yes, yes. The problem is with that one, they had sequels planned in the works. And if the game sold so badly, and I'm point this, I'll point this out in the show, that literally Tim Schafer said, we have sequels in the work. We're going to scrap them because it's not worth our time. Right. Someone would love to get a crack at that. Maybe go a different direction. But these IPs are going to sit there. They're going to fester for a thousand years, and they're going to get lost. Right. I think that's um, – I had a point I was going to make, but I forgot. It's because, yeah, no, that's all right. It's just a million thoughts that run through my head and then my brain can't filter them all out because brain. Uh, but no, it's it really has become a thing. It, I mean, it's pretty much the reason why we've gotten 27 Call of Duties over the last 27 years, one every single year is because, mm-hmm. yeah, eventually we get to a point where 
you know, it's like a funnel. Every everything gets tossed in and eventually, you know, it goes down and they figure out the stuff that makes the money. And then it's it's just that it's just, hey, Call of Duty every year. Hey, it's FIFA every year. Hey, like this is the stuff that makes the money. And yeah, yeah it's it's really left up to the, the smaller indie studios with smaller budgets to carry on the the trying new things. And that's often where, uh, hey, may, at places where you're not treated like a like a, you know, a slave tied to your computer. Mm-hmm. that the better work comes out of and yeah. that's really where the spirit of that comes along yeah like there's tons of stuff like i remember uh people were really excited when uh the possibilities when square enix sold all those studios to embracer group that yep. hey maybe we'll see some of those properties that come back now because they're mm-hmm. uh, i think uh deuce x was one of them was the big one that yeah. people were saying so uh yeah i think people just leave, they're just sitting there and it's like well we're not gonna put effort towards that because hey we'd rather make you know the yeah. 120th final fantasy game because that makes money exactly. or we'd rather you know hey marvel licensed property games seem to be a huge thing now that makes money let's just throw one of those out the door <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Embracer Group sale, uh, one of the properties I saw that caught my attention was the Legacy of Kane series. Legacy of Kane, yeah, I saw that one too. Absolutely. Five games in total. Blood Omen, the first one on PlayStation 1 is great. Soul Reaver is great. Masterfully written. Amy Hedig was a major writer on that. She was absolutely amazing. Knocked it out of the park. And I don't even like vampires. She did an amazing <laughs> job. Amazing world transition. Blood Omen 2, Soul Reaver 2, meh. And the final one, Defiance was planned to be two, if not three parts of a much bigger game. They went, oh, they ain't going to give us money for this anymore. They smashed it into one title and left the end open. Right. And that got dropped off sometime in the PlayStation 2 era. They ain't been back. They tried to make a one call, a, a one in the same universe called Dead Sun. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was going to be a fantastic title. <laughs> Absolutely shit can that one. Gone. We're, we're lucky what we, they released some of the code online to see what the game looked like. And that's it. Rest of the code is gone. Right. We'll never see it. Somebody will tick that up. I was hoping they'd maybe make a new game, go in a different direction. Nope, someone's going to hoard that IP. Right. And they're not going to put in effort. Well, hopefully now that maybe it's in new hands, maybe people are willing to revisit that. That's one. Yeah. When that happened, the, the, the Legacy of Kane fans came out and were like, hey, like, let's get some life in this. I was I was surprised because I knew the games existed, but I just I had no idea of the fan base. I was like, this is amazing. So, oh, yeah, yeah no, it, I was glad to see and I'm glad to see the fans came out and said something. Now, yeah. was it the biggest selling game of all time? Hell no, it wasn't. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a vamp- it's a game where you play a vampire, for God's sake. It, it's dark fantasy. You know, it's you know, the last time we had a successful franchise that was dark fantasy was Dragon Age. Right. And even that had to make concessions to the Tolkien style of game that most people think of when they think of fantasy. Right. It could go in a truly new direction. I think, too, it would be a a, a really prime opportunity to bring that back because it seems uh, just trying to keep up with the general happenings in the industry. uh, Vampire games seem to be gaining steam the last couple of years. How many? There's so many vampire masquerade games with the word masquerade coming Mm -hmm. in over the next couple of years. But uh, uh, just in general, uh, I think that would be a prime opportunity to bring that back. So, yeah. Embrace your group. If you're listening, make it happen. Let's go. (laughs) And of course, the the genre mashup. I think it's one of the best things you can do is have multiple different types of styles in a game. Yes, I know RPG mechanics are done to death. Right. But think about the type of RPGs that have done well. Mass Effect. Ain't fantasy. It's sci-fi. Right. Um, there's a game I still love. It's as janky as hell. And it's actually, strangely enough, talking about vampires is made by the same studio that made Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. It's called Arcanum of Magic of Steamworks and Magic Obscura. It is what happens if a fantasy world has an industrial revolution. And now it actually has steampunk robots and firearms 
and they're wearing suits and ties that look like they came out of the 1800s, top hats and whatnot. They're going, going into battle fully loaded with plate armor because they have guns and that doesn't work. They're still using magic, but magic's dying because technology is taking over. The interplay right. between the two doesn't work. That's a genre mashup that could be done. You know, a lot of things can do. As I said, Brutal Legend, genre mashup. Right. Um, didn't work out, but the experiment was made. You have these opportunities for making, even if it's not a remake or, a new pro- or an old property come back to love, you have the opportunity to make a new property. Try right. something different. Dead Space. With that studio, EA thought, this is going to be total shit, but fine. Let's let them run. Ends up being popular, not Call of Duty popular, but ends up being popular and has a fan base. They get the second game. EA's taking a little bit more attention, says, okay, add this, that, and the other thing. Add multiplayer. Nobody wants fucking multiplayer in a horror <laughs> it's game. Like, why? It's like, <laughs> why? Oh, did pretty well. We even had an ad campaign. Your mom will hate Dead Space. I looked at that as a 30-year-old man going, wah. <laughs> My mom was a nurse. She was an ER nurse. She looked at this and gone, ooh, gooey, and moved on with her life. Right. And you're like, oh, God, oh, it's a horrifying. Like, where do you get these ladies <laughs> out of central casting? What the hell happened here? EA, this is infantile. You can do better. But that's popular. Then we get to three, and they go, make this like Call of Duty in space. Well, we're done. We're done. We're, we're done here. <laughs> um, visceral, God love them. They tried. Yep. It went exactly the way they thought it was going to go. Um, and in the series. Now they're back with the Callista Protocol, which should have probably been Dead Space 3 or Dead Space 4, right. as they intended. But they had to come back under a different name because there was so much studio interference right. about the money that they lost an entire IP. Right. And now are also having to remake it from the ground up. Now we will truly see which is the real Dead Space when that happens. That's true. So. <laughs> we, will, we will get to see. And like, why, do, why am I so passionate about this stuff? Because I think, you know, first of all, I'm anti-establishment as, in, as my nature. I don't like it when the big guys come in and bully people. I don't like bullies. And a lot right. of these major companies and their CEOs are bullies, which so often happens. And it's, and it's not it's just, you know, in the game industry. They could be selling Coca-Cola. They could be selling tires. They could be selling steel, oil, anything. They'd still be the same pack of assholes. Mm-hmm. It just be a different industry. Two, I like artists and creators to have a chance and have a voice. And yes, I realize it's a business. Yes, I realize mortgages need to be paid and roofs need to be overhead and we need to take care of your kids and your pets and yourselves. But you also need to give these people a chance to spread their wings and tell a story. Right. You can't be telling the same five stories over and over and over again. There's way more in the world than that. And these people need the chance to be heard. I agree with you 100%. And I think people find too that, hey, maybe if you did just back off and let that story come to light without corporate interference, uh, mm-hmm. people will actually be fans of that. And they will, you know, they're too afraid to, to, to stray from what is already proven to work. And they just want more yeah. of that. So it keeps feeding the bottom line. And that's kind yes. of where now, we've arrived. On the flip side of that, there is the studios like Microsoft, who their policy is to be completely hands off at their creative studios. The problem is there's no oversight, which means that smaller studios get to abuse their workers as much as possible as long as the product is made. Mm. And the main company goes, hey, that was on them. We were hands off. We have not struck a balance between don't abuse your staff, pay them well, and maybe have some oversight from the money people to come in and go, 
you know, we may not understand the thing you're making, but we want you to try, but we don't want you to be terrible about it. Right. We want you to be fair. Maybe and just don't, don't need fair, a person up top to say, don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, don't be don't a dick. Be a dick. <laughs> and we're not going to pull the plug on the project. We're going to pull the plug on the manager responsible. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Phil. I really appreciate you sharing a lot of insight and, and really um, you weaved uh, stories about your show in with stories about yourself. And then that was fantastic. It's really what I was looking for the entire show. So um, we've, we've kind of about reached the, the limit I said here where I'd start to be summoned from the other room. So uh, <laughs> to, to wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, I know we've probably talked about a couple of titles um, throughout this, this interview, but uh, do you have a couple of games that uh, stick out in your mind that you say are your favorite games that mean a lot to you emotionally that kind of just resonate with you a little more than the others? Yes, definitely. Um, the first one, and this is actually the first show I made that I was super, super proud of, proud of was ActRaiser on the yes. SNES. Yes. ActRaiser is, uh, just very briefly, it is a side-scrolling platformer genre mashed with a world-building sim. Mm-hmm. So in between, so you start the game, you start an area, you go out, you defeat a monster, side-scrolling platform. Then you spend the middle portion through a intermediary building up your village. And when it reaches a certain point, a certain population, the populace go, oh, no, the real monster has appeared. And you go back down to the platform and you defeat it. So mm. a lot of new people have said, this is garbage. This doesn't hold up. I disagree. <laughs> the, here's the point. The story behind that is fantastic because it gets to the heart of considering you being an all-knowing, all-powerful deity coming in to help your people. What happens when they get to a point where they don't need you anymore? Right when they don't need your religion, your belief anymore, they've gotten to a point where they have morals, they have ethics, they have a society that doesn't need you. What do you as a God do? Mm-hmm. And I, that, that spoke to me early on because I grew up in a very Catholic household. And I, of course, you know, the first thing you do when you're old enough, you start to question, is this any real? Is this, you know, I'm not knocking anyone's belief system here. Um, this is just me speaking and going, well, yeah, what happened? We kind of, in our society, we have progressed, you know, we have morals, we have ethics, we have things that don't require a divine intermediary. What would God do for all eternity? Would he move on, create new life? Would it, you know, fade away? What really would be the point here? And that's the point of Act Raiser is telling the story of you go through all this, you help these people, you defeat the devil, you defeat all these monsters, and they go, thank you, God, you can go now because we're good. What a concept. Another one. Resident Evil 2. The original ah, yes. One. Why am I such a fan of this one? Because at the time it was released in 1998, I literally was Leon's in-game age. So I was like, this guy could be me. I was even thinking about becoming a police officer at that time. I was, you know, in art school and going, oh my God, we made a decision, but right. I want to help people. Maybe I'd be, maybe I could be a cop. I, I didn't go that route, but you know, I could see this. And, you know, um, I always thought that he and Claire were a good team. They're great friends. Right. A lot of people think, oh, they'd be a cute couple. No, forgot. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Not every, it's not like a movie. You don't need to trauma bond. You know, in, this is not woman as, you know, reward as often so many as in movies. Like, you know, you get the girl, you move on. They're friends. They're, they're survivors together. They're co-survivors. And I'm glad Capcom, at least in their edge, just kept going, hey, we are on the same team. We've been through this mess before with Umbrella. We're friends, and they just stayed friends. I think it was a good thing. Right. You know, it was a wonderful series. And I, I felt I was, you know, Leon's age. 
I had friends that were Claire's age that were also female and we, you know, we just remained friends. It was all good. And it was just well done. It was a wacky Capcom story. A lot of the writing's goofy. No, it makes no sense, but you loved it. And much like I said, with survival horror, you know, you got to survive. You got to be the hero. You got to help out. And despite whatever happened, the chips being down, almost constantly being on the back foot, he still made it out. They still did just fine. Um, that's a big one. Like I said, the Dead Space series for a lot of the same reason, mm-hmm. um, especially because it deals with mental health issues, even if it's like done in goofy, you know, goofy large terms. I'm a mental health advocate myself. Uh, I can totally understand Isaac's point of view. And here's another shocker. I was okay with Isaac voicing things, and I think he should have been yelling throughout the first game entirely. <laughs> but if you see mutants like that coming across at you, if you're not going to scream expletives and run around and yell and shoot and scream, something is way wronger with you than you think. Very normal uh, human reaction. <laughs> exactly. Very normal human reaction. I know people hated in the second game when he got a voice, but I don't get it. Um, those resonate with me. A lot of the Final Fantasies, uh, 4, 6, and 7, Mm-hmm. really are the core, core sort of cornerstones of my RPGs. Um, like I said, if it wasn't for a trip to Canada, I probably wouldn't have gotten into the genres I talked about with uh, Final Fantasy four. Right. Um, Cause my tastes were changing, but that kind of cemented with me, the concept of, you know, D and D in video game form and this being awesome. Um, six and seven, even in the directions they went, I think they were just so amazing and really showed what you could do even on the, you know, PlayStation, the super Nintendo and whatnot that are really kind of um, amazing storytelling, even if it now seems a little trite. And Skyrim is um, simply because of what could be done with that game. The story is hackneyed. I realize that I'm not going on the story they'd written, but it's just such a comfort game for me. You know, I can always go back and play it and put in a goofy mod and wrote somebody who wrote a better story and stuff like that and just have fun. Sometimes with games, you just have to have a comfort game that's just fun. Right. I agree 100%. Um, Phil, thank you so much for sharing with me, man. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Yes, we're going to take it. We're going to wrap it up here. Like I said, I'm getting the text messages being summoned from the other room, but I I appreciate (laughs) you spending this time with me. Uh, This was a long time coming. Uh, so the, and it lived up to every, every part of my expectations as I hoped it would. So thank you so much for, for being on and, and sharing your stories with me. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, it, if any of you out there listening, uh, if you do not listen to deleted saves, I will find you. So take, th- <laughs> take that statement for what you will. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time I've threatened people to listen to something on this show. So it's kind of becoming a, kind of becoming a running theme. It's. It should be interesting, but uh, do you want to take a second and uh, just, you know, I'll just give you uh, uh, the floor here and shill anything you want to shill, uh, snake oil, any of that, all that good stuff, whatever you want to do. Uh, the floor is yours, sir. So, okay, awesome. Um, I don't have much in the way of socials. I'm, I don't have a discord because I think much like you, I would just forget to run it. Uh, even in <laughs> yes. discords I'm in, I don't get to talk very much because I feel bad because I never know what to say because all these people are having these amazing talks and conversations. And I'm like, yeah, at, I was there too. If anyone's <laughs> looking to um, to connect with me on social media, uh, Twitter, I know again it's an old man format. At least it's not Facebook, right? But Twitter uh, at Deleted Saves is my Twitter handle. If you want to join in, if you want to chat with me, if you want to send me a DM, um, cool. I'm always down. Uh, Instagram, which is Deleted underscore Saves underscore Podcast on Instagram. Um, 
I don't post too much crazy stuff there. It's usually just weekend uh, updates of my show because I'm mostly like, you guys don't really want to see my cats or what I'm doing on a daily <laughs> basis. It's really not that interesting, but those are my formats. Um, and yeah, really just, um, if no one has given my show a chance, but wants to please come in. I don't mind if it's your thing. Awesome. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate any listens. If it's not for you, thank you at least for giving it a shot. I do appreciate it either way. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. It was, it was fantastic. And, uh, definitely the door is always open to you. If you want to come back on in the future and talk about anything at all, uh, definitely we'll do, we'll definitely do it for sure and uh for you out there if you're if you stop by and you listen you made it this long uh thank you so much all my socials are always linked in the episode description i don't need to read them off to you uh if you if you really want to find me you can find me there and yell at me uh, i'll take that i love talking to people so just reach out and find me and uh yeah i'm available on if you if, obviously if you're listening to the show you've already found me but pretty much on any podcatcher that's where you can find the show uh, and if it's not there reach out i'll put it on whatever random podcatcher you want to listen to i understand that uh you know it's not always cool to want to listen on spotify or apple podcasts or the big guys because you know screw those guys uh but yeah <laughs> if you uh just reach out let me know and we'll have a conversation and uh as i always say at the end of every episode uh, the most important thing is uh, make sure everybody out there that you're taking care of yourselves. Have a good night.